Hey, welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purse Big Book Study Group, Thursday night, Alcoholics and God, Speaker Step Series. And right now we've got Chris to give us our joke. Good evening, everybody. I'm Chris, alcoholic, joke, joke teller. And uh, we're going to continue our journey of the big book, uh, not big book, AA-approved book, A Rabbit Walks Into a Bar, Best Jokes and Cartoons from the AA Grapevine. Question, what did the sponsor say to the sponsee after he told his story to the group for the first time? Your answer, your eyes are too close together. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Guy. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to do a two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. You know, please turn off all electronic devices that make noise or may distract others. Take time to connect with God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? So let's start our meditation. Mm-hmm. 
If you join me with the fog light prayer, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we've discovered a common solution We have a way out which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news the book carries to those who still suffer from alcoholism. And I've asked Tyler to read the spiritual experience in Appendix 2. We read this because the main purpose of the 12th step is to have one. So it's kind of important to know what one is. Tyler, would you come up? I'm an alcoholic. Hey. All right, this is the spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the, pers- the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of the sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feelings and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are, no, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the yeah, psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he, he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought by about yeah, brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of dis- self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this, is, this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emph- emphatically, we wish to say that an alco- any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is 
contempt prior to investigation. Do I read the rest of this? This is by Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous, pages 567 through 568. It's John Tyler, thanks. So please refrain from disturbing others by talking or getting up and sitting back down. It's a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane, airplane meeting or just turn them off altogether. And it's uh, my pleasure to introduce our speaker tonight. It's hard to believe he's been with us three months going through the steps. Uh, they've been insightful and very inspirational to me and I'm sure to every one of you the conversations on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. So we've got Peter M. tonight doing step 12. Give him a round of applause. My name is Peter, recovered alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And I got to tell you, my wife left for Seattle at around 11 o'clock this morning. I'm completely sideways. I don't know what that means. I'm missing. Um, getting here was disastrous. I couldn't get a schedule together. Um, so um, I'm missing her a whole bunch tonight. Uh, June 23rd, 1988 is when a loving God separated me from alcohol. And I'm very grateful for this gift of sobriety. Very grateful to this fellowship, which was a band-aid on an open wound when I arrived here in 1988. Uh, as I've said many times over the last three months, completely clueless. Uh, I've offered this many times to, to new folks. Um, you know, the tendency, because I was new once, is to tell everyone you're okay. How you doing? I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. And those of us who walked a little bit further down the road than you know you're not good. You're not okay. You feel better, but you're not okay. And there's no crime in that. There's nothing wrong with that. We just need to hear you. We need to be around you. We need to help you. We need to sponsor you. And so when someone tells me they're good, maybe they don't need a sponsor. So it's really okay if you're new tonight and you're sitting with an elder statesman to let them know I'm feeling better, but I'm still not okay because my head's racing 100 miles an hour. And as crazy as it sounds, I still think about using every once in a while. And every once in a while out of nowhere, a drink thought comes by and it actually starts to taste good and I haven't had it yet. If I could just escape for a couple of hours and then go back to AA and not lose my sober time, I'd sign up for that. <laughs> because there's a lot of traffic in the head when we get sober. And even though we did ask God to keep us sober, and how we knew that, because he's the only one we asked to keep us sober, and here we are. We still need help. I need help. I still need help. I spoke to my sponsor a couple hours ago and ran some things by and some inventory, some things I had concerns about. One of them I even shared with Michael before the meeting, because I need to seek counsel. Because this process I've learned in recovery is never linear, but transformational. And the numbers that I wear on my sleeve of whether it's 90 days or, or 20 years means really little. The thing that's going to keep me buoyant, the things that allow me to transcend all the things that I couldn't before is my spiritual transformation, my relationship with this power called God. And nothing less than that great fact, the great fact on page 25 sums it up beautifully. But I need help to do that walk. Yeah? I need someone to guide me. I need someone to put my hand in God's hand because I'm clueless. Because what I have fall prey to is temptation, a new relationship, uh, getting in, uh, uh, physically fit, 
shopping, whatever it might be, just to relieve the tension a little bit. And I start to pay attention to all external things rather than the internal, which is key, which is most important, which is vital. And I neglect that. And I become spiritually anemic and wondering how come I can't get out of my own way. I need a sponsor to do that. I need a home group to do that. I need to do service while I'm at the home group, whatever it is. But I just need to be, you know, where do you find Pete Marinelli on Thursday nights? Hopefully here every Thursday night. You'll find me. Where to find Pete Marinelli? Thursday night, he's at Alcoholics and God. Do I have a home group like that? When I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, there were a lot of moving parts. I'll just say there's less moving parts 34 years later. But it doesn't look like now what it looked like when I walked in. And I've been very blessed with having uh, what I feel have been great sponsors, uh, men in my life. And that's not neglecting the ladies because they were great to me. A lot of the old timers, uh, the women, kind of were motherly towards me and nurtured me when I got here because I was so bankrupt in so many areas. But the men that were put in my path uh, were just great guys. They were giants in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I remember my very first sponsor uh, back in <clears throat> Brooklyn, New York, who wasn't well received uh, by many people because he walked around with a big book and he had a lot of edges. He had no problem telling someone the truth, whether it upset them or not. And I love that. I was attracted. For me, I was attracted to those men who were kind of drill sergeants. When our big book says we alcoholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in a simple way we just outlined, I need somebody to help me get disciplined. To someone to get right my grow from time to time. For someone to tell me, you go home tonight and you're going to do this, and you're going to call me tomorrow, okay, I'll f- those are my marching orders. So I appreciated men like that. And, you know, the, the, when I got sober, I was hearing so many different ways to recover. I remember sitting in a meeting in uh, West Boca when I first arrived down here in 2011. It was a beginner's meeting a buddy of mine took me to. And it went around the room. And about seven different pe- seven people had seven different ways of getting sober. And I leaned over to my friend and I says, if I was new, who do I choose? This one's telling me don't drink, go to meetings. This one's saying don't worry about the steps. This one's saying do this. This one's saying do I, how, who do you? How do you get sober? Because my big book tells me how to get sober. In the third edition on the fly page, the old blue and white covers. It says, but the basic text pages 1 to 164 have remained unchanged. This is the AA message, which means there are a lot of messages out there. But if I want the results that the big book is promising me, then I need to do what's in here. Because if I always do what I've always done, I'm always going to get what I always got. And what I need to do is let go of everything completely, absolutely and surrender myself to this God, even though I don't know it yet, and start off with surrendering myself to a sponsor. who don't even know him or her yet. But I'm willing to walk a different path for perhaps the first time in my life and not take control. This gentleman back in Brooklyn, I, I, he brought me to my, to, made me join. Made, you are now a part of this group. It was the Free Spirit Group back, back in Brooklyn. And it was, it was a popular group when I arrived, and it became more big book oriented as I stayed, and it, the attendance fell off which is typical in a lot of places. You know, we're going to talk about the book and steps. We're going to get serious. I'm finding another meeting. 
But I had great lessons uh, taught to me there, and what this gentleman did was start off from the beginning of the book. And it showed me the first promise in a book which says recovered. Because that's the goal, to get recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, to have this personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism. Now, I, I'm not telling anyone how to do it. I'm just sharing my experience with it. There are people who do it different ways, and they're happy, and I'm not there to debate them. I just can tell you my own experience. And after seven treatment centers and living in an abandoned building in 1980, being a, literally a homeless bum on the street, I've shared this, 130 pounds, hepatitis C, urinating blood. I'm filthy, tore up from the floor up. I'm not in the negotiating territory. I'm not in the debating society. Because I would look at some of the men and women in the AA who looked impeccable sitting in their chair, dressed impeccable, sounding impeccable, having lives, having families, having careers. Who am I to debate? I'm wearing my brother's clothes, for God's sake, and I, I don't have a job, and I have no money, and no woman in her right mind wants anything to do with me. I think I need to listen to you. I knew I needed to be on this team at all costs, at any length, whatever it took, and any length was none of my business, but I need to be on this team. And I didn't negotiate. I didn't tell my sponsor I can't make it because I have a party to go to. I made it because this had to come first. That didn't come from me. That came from God. That came from the soul. You get there regardless of anything. And I've been coming back ever since. I'm very grateful to report to you after the length of time I'm in here. Thank you, God, that I'm still excited about Alcoholics Anonymous. I still get passionate about Alcoholics Anonymous. I love working with people when I sponsor them if they're sincere. I don't have patience for insincerity. I, don't, I just don't anymore. I'm getting too old for that. But I get excited about being. I get excited about conferences and workshops and all of it, all of it. The service we get asked to do, that we get to do. I get excited about because this, quite frankly, is my life. And because of Alcoholics Anonymous, I have a job. Because of Alcoholics Anonymous, I have a wonderful woman in my life. I have my family. And my, I have these things. It's because of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because anything, I've, I've learned this and I've watched it. Anything I put before AA, I'm going to lose. Anything I put, put before my recovery, I'm going to lose anyway. And there were many folks along the way um, uh, uh, outside of sponsorship who brought grace and dignity to me because I had none. By opening up doors for me, not literally, but opening up doors for me and welcoming me in to their little clique it started in Minnesota when, I, when they would go to the diner after a meeting, and I'm flat broken. I don't know, how am I going to go to a diner? And these guys are my ride home. What am I going to do? And they said, it's okay, you're with us. And they bought me dinner at the diner. And we'd have a meeting in the car before the meeting and a meeting in the car after the meeting, and they brought me in. And I took to it because I didn't have any friends when I got here. I had no options. There was no ace in the hole. This, this, quite frankly, was it and quite frankly still is. Alcoholics Anonymous. So I'm very mindful of what I do and where I go and who I stay with. My current sponsor is Bob Bazans out of St. Paul, Minnesota. And I've been with him, it's about six months now, maybe. And it's been, it's been an interesting ride. It's been a wonderful ride, very insightful ride, and wonderful phone conversations, sometimes short, sometimes long. But a different angle on this whole journey. Most of my sponsors have been incredibly rigid, like really rigid. Like if I would call up without inventory, I'd hear click. 
you know, if I didn't attend a business meeting, I heard about it. So they were very, very rigid through the book, taking the book, putting it in my life, writing inventory, prayer, meditation, how long did I meditate? And that's what I needed at the beginning. I wasn't a guy who could afford to have my own little wiggle room. They were very, very rigid up until my last sponsor. But there comes a point where I don't need a sponsor to tell me to write inventory. I ought to be doing that on my own. I ought to be going to meetings on my own. It's time for a different type of conversation. It's time for a conversation about spirituality and living life on God's terms, which is quite refreshing for me. And where I can bear my soul to a sponsor and not be judged by it. And this I love. The trust factor is very, very important to me. So our 12 steps says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the 12 steps, one of the biggest promises that we can read. It's a guarantee. It manufactures spiritual transformations, not information, which I'm going to get. If we get anyone to sit here, if we get a civilian to come in here for three months, they're going to walk around with a, walk out with a lot of information about alcoholism. But doesn't mean they've experienced this personality change. What I need to do is do some work, do some heavy lifting out of this book to experience what this book is talking about, this new point of view on life, operating for me out of the soul rather than the mind, seeing from the soul rather than the mind, speaking from the soul rather than the mind, hearing from the soul rather than the mind. Who I be operates out of the soul, and the longest distance in the world is from here to here, and this is always in charge. I said this from a million podiums, if we think about it, from the moment we woke up to right now at 741, if we thought about all the thoughts we had and how many we got attached to and the roller coaster ride we've been on today, it's quite, quite exhausting. And I continue to pay attention to that. I'm almost programmed to pay attention to that because they're my thoughts, I believe. That means they're true and they give them a ton of power. This is talking about operating from someplace else. And it's a guarantee to happen if I do what's in the book and not perfect. No one in this book says you have to do the steps perfect or else. But make an honest effort towards it, a life which demands rigorous honesty. And I will tell you, I've done nothing perfect. In fact, I've done nothing. That's not being falsely humble. I've done nothing. What I did was wreck my life year after year after year. And I came into Alcoholics Anonymous desperate. I didn't even make me desperate. That was a gift of desperation, a G-O-D, that God gave me a place of feeling this kind of desperation to reach outside of myself for help rather than relying and depending upon me. And the first one was, please take me from this. I don't want to die in the back of an abandoned building. I knew I was out. It wasn't working anymore. This was a broken vessel. It doesn't work. It'll never work. And when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous in 1988, as desperate as I was, and I says, who's new? We're coming back. You know, the hand is 100 pounds now to say it's me. All the old timers circle the wagon. And they spoon-fed me directions and information on what to do for that day. And when I showed up the next day, what to do for the next day. And I eventually got a sponsor. And sponsors fed me their experience, strength, and hope. The, the basic service we provide in AA Comes of Age says is one alcoholic working with another. It's called sponsorship. It's vital. It's a third side of our legacy. That everything that's been given to me, I need to give the whole thing away. When we look at the forewords in our big book, it talks about how one drunk work with another proved to bring, to bring about permanent sobriety. Not even a day at a time. We live a day at a time. Permanent sobriety. 
when Bill meets Bob. And Bill and Bob meet Bob, uh, Bill Dotson. Permanent sobriety. I got it. I need to pass it on. Get to a place where you want to shout it from the rooftops, this good news. Anyone who cares to listen, I'm willing to talk about it. I'll tell you about my innermost secrets if you're willing to listen, and I'll tell you how I got better. The excitement we have in Alcoholics Anonymous, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the 12 steps, we tried to carry this message to other alcoholics. Now, this is the heartbreaking part and sometimes the rewarding part. I've sponsored people for many years now. Some are dead. They were sitting in an AA meeting, but they just wouldn't have this way of life. Not that they couldn't, they just wouldn't do it. They wouldn't go to some of the extremes that AA asked us to do or this book asked us to do. They didn't want to do a thorough inventory. They weren't looking at amends. They weren't willing to turn it over. They just wanted to get the heat off their back to, say every, to tell everyone they're okay, and they got drunk and died or got high and died. And sometimes when I was sponsoring, I always got those guys along, along the way that you fall in love with that you really just, there's a kindred spirit there, and they don't make it either. And sometimes I've wanted it more for them than they did for themselves. And I watched them just go out and die. And then you get the folks who stick around for a while, and then you walk into a meeting early, and they're sitting there with their little sponsee taking them to the steps, or they're chairing a meeting somewhere, or they're speaking somewhere. And they have jobs and they become impeccable in thought, word, and deed. They look good, they sound good, and they're in the middle of it. They're at every business meeting. And you know you had just a little something to do with that. Those are the great things. And when it tells me, uh, practice these principles in all my affairs, by this time, hopefully, I have more principles than affairs. <laughs> and the principles they're talking about is the principles in our 12 steps. And there are a lot of fads over the years that I had to cut loose. A lot of social uh, um, socializing with certain people I had to cut loose. I couldn't hang around with guys who were going to casinos or strip joints. I couldn't go, hang around with guys who go on vacation weekend because they're on vacation. They don't need to make a meeting. I couldn't hang around that. I couldn't hang around men who were womanizing in AA. I couldn't be around that. I didn't want to be around that. My heroes were the men who were here, who were working with others, who were in AA, going to conferences and workshops and retreats and all. This was it. And when you walked into the house, it looked like that. Those were my heroes. I was fed up with the tough guys from the street. I've been there, done that. I don't want to part of that anymore. I idolized men who had the courage to weep from a podium about something delicate. And I idolized the men who gave me the truth when the truth hurt them to say and hurt me to hear. Who else is going to give us the truth? So I began a journey through the steps with the sponsor many years ago, and I had no idea what was about to happen to me. But I was convinced deep down in my soul it had to be better than what's going on right now. Because when I came home from Minnesota with about a year sober, I was still untreated. I was going to a lot of meetings. I had made some attempts at steps by taking a little here and a little there and a little here and a little there, listening to Joe and Charlie. But I hadn't had that sponsor to walk me through yet. Albeit I was in halfway three-quarter and sober living, so time was limited. 
But when I landed and got to Free Spirit Group, this guy, Tony, sat down and began the journey through the steps. And suddenly things started to shift. My point of view on many things started to change. And I was able to take stock of me for the first time, really good stock of me, of all my flaws. And my sponsor told me, we're not here to list your assets. We're here to look at the cracks in the arm and how we can seal them up. So what my book tells me is this. Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. That's a pretty powerful statement. Immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. That's beyond here's my number, give me a call. Intensive work means I'm coming to your house, you're coming to my house, we're meeting in the back uh, in, in home group, and we're going to sit down, crack open a book, and whether we do line by line or we give assignments out of the book, I'm going to walk you through this the way someone walked me through it. I'm going to take your phone calls, I'm going to hear your inventory, I'm going to hear your fifth step. You're going to cry on my shoulder when the nights are too painful, and I'm going to celebrate with you and the joys that come along your way. I'm going to walk you through this, but you need to walk with me, yeah? I need two to do this. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. Life will take on new meaning to watch people recover, to see see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, and to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. In frequent contact with newcomers, and each other's the bright spot of our life. Is it the bright spot of my life? I had a sponsor in Brooklyn for about eight years or so, and we all have clay feet, and uh, he kind of went in another direction. And I wasn't sure what to do. And so I had to pray. Sometimes folks come up to me and say, I need a sponsor. Can you help me out? You know, anybody in the meeting is a good sponsor. And I can do that. That's called watering it down and not passing on what I did. What I did was I got on bended knees and asked God, show me a sponsor. Because I don't know who to ask. And there was a gentleman in town for something, a conference called Fellowship with the Spirit. His name was Mark Houston. And I went up to Mark one day, and, and, and God says, ask this man. And, I, and I, he said to me, I've been waiting for you. And he said, are you ready to have your whole life turned upside down? And I had second thoughts at this point. And, um, and we began a journey, and this guy showed me things in this book about Alcoholics Anonymous, about our traditions, about this relationship with God that I never knew before. I was given the book, A New Pair of Glasses. I was given a new pair of glasses with like nine years sober. And I thought I was doing okay. And this guy comes into my life and turns everything upside down. And I remember doing the steps with him, and I got to step three, and I, I, was, I was talking so fast because the feeling was so powerful and so electric. And he says, that's God. That's what's supposed to happen during this journey. That kind of excitement about this glory of God in your life. You're convinced of it. And that was in step three. And as rigid as he was, he was a great, great teacher. He's gone to the big meeting in the sky, but he just taught me so much. How much I would have missed about just living life if I didn't have a sponsor like that. And there have been sponsors along the way. Most of them have gone on. A lot of them were old timers. 
I, I, I had come in contact with a gentleman named Mickey M. from Colorado. That was a long relationship. And if I walked away with one thing from this sponsor, he got me back to my Catholic church. Of all the lessons, and I could come away with one, one golden nugget, he was instrumental in getting me back to my, my Catholic church. And for that, I'm forever grateful. And then Bob came into my life, I, I, like I said, about six months ago. When I was first getting sober, um, I remember this clearly. My family, you know, threw me out, took me back in, threw me out, took me back in. And at the end, they just threw me out. And I was on the street. And I hated them for it, but it was the best thing they did to me and for me. And when I came home from Minnesota, um, they were walking on eggshells. And my kid brother allowed me to stay in his apartment. I was still unemployed. And my dad put me on a a $20 a week allowance, Mr. Big Shot, which means I had to ask for a ride at a meeting. In Brooklyn, we had trains and uh, uh, buses. I had to do that. And I was doing that because my dad made it abundantly clear, do not ask anyone in his family for any money. When you run out of 20 bucks, you don't get any until next week. So certainly ego deflating, that's for sure. And my brother says, you come live with me and you can sleep on my couch. And I went back to work eventually and I'm going to meetings and I have a home group and I have a sponsor and I'm in the middle of this thing called Alcoholics Anonymous and I start saving money. It's unbelievable when you're sober, you you have money like left over. When payday comes, I still got last week's pay. It's unbelievable. And I put enough money together to get my own apartment And I got into this apartment the first night. And a woman in AA gave me a sleeping bag. She says, honey, congratulations. I heard you got your new new apartment. I have something in my car. She gave me a sleeping bag because I had no furniture. It was just a shell. There wasn't even a phone plugged in. AA says, before you buy furniture, get a phone. I know what they mean now. There's way before cell phones. And I had a big book that night. And I had my Bible. I still don't know till this day where that Bible came from. I still have it. But I had a big book and a Bible, and I put on my front door all these AA bumper stickers, first things first, let go, let God, all those things on the door. That was my wallpaper. And I had a crucifix above the door, and I got into the sleeping bag. This was unbelievable. A guy from Brooklyn trying to get into a sleeping bag. I almost, like, choked myself to death getting in there. And um, I remember lying back. It was incredibly uncomfortable. But I looked around that I paid the first month, the last month, all of that stuff when you move in. I wasn't in a hallway anymore. I wasn't a bum. I had a job. And I had a sponsor. And I had a home group. And I had my own place. It was a little studio. And I'm sleeping in a sleeping bag. But for me, I was at the Ritz Carlton in the penthouse because I knew what I did that day, and it was clean. And I come home from home group, and I knew I was going to work tomorrow, the next day, and I had a meeting to go to the next night. And I would meet my sponsor in a diner after a meeting with a bunch of men that he was sponsoring. I had a life for the first time in my life, and no one was kicking me out. And I was bathing regularly and brushing my hair and washing it and shaving and putting on clean clothes for the first time in a long time. 
I got really OCD with that. The, the shirt, the sleeve had to be pressed perfect, you know. And I would wash my sneakers regularly because if they looked dirty, it reminded me of living in a hallway again, and I never wanted to go back there. You know. Until this day, on a Saturday night, if I'm home and I'm with Marion, and she's maybe cooking something or watching something on TV, and I'm folding laundry on a Saturday night, I'm having a great time with life. Because of Alcoholics Anonymous and men and women who carry the message to me, I can talk about mechanics. We can talk about mechanics. We have a lot of mechanics out there. And some mechanics are loonier tunes than, than a new guy. But it's about a way of living, a transformative life, this contemplative lifestyle that we get to live, experiencing oneness with God and willing to pass a message on and giving our free time away to a drunk going on the 12-step call in the middle of the night and going to some flea bag motel and having to check the place out, look under the bed, look in the closets, look in the bathroom, because I don't know who's in there. I've done plenty of those. Or having a drunk soil himself right in front of you or puke on your new shoes. There's something that a civilian would say, you people are crazy, and we get to the diner and say, what a great night. <laughs> I got to buy new sneakers. Joe puked all over them. I got my sergeant stripes. I'm really an AA. This is the coolest thing. When I first got down here, uh, I was here, oh, Lord, maybe a couple of weeks, and I get a call. Some guys in, in Pompano Beach in one of these swanky, swanky joints, one of these crack hotels, and three of us go there, and I go to the front desk because I'm not just going to walk in. I want the front desk to know who's here. I said, look, you got a crackhead in there. We're about to get him. He's giving me a driver's license. You got it in case something happens and I need to call 911. I've already been identified because when the cops come in, you know, they take everybody. And we get into this guy's room, and, you know, he's, like, trying to hold it together, and his jaw's in Philadelphia. He's so <laughs> cracked out. I'm, I'm fine, you know. And uh, there's empty whiskey bottles. It was just a mess, and he was a mess, and the room was a mess. So I had a buddy of mine, Jeff, go check the bathroom, make sure nobody's in there with weapons, and look in the closets. And it's like, you know, we're out there doing this. And then he had this crying jag, and then he soiled himself. And so we, we kind of picked him up and put him in the shower. We undressed him and put him in the shower and basically hosed him down. That's icky work. Who else is going to do it but us? And this is the great task God has given folks like us. The police aren't going to do it. Bless their hearts. They have enough to deal with. Your counselor, your therapist wants to make sure you have the right insurance policy if they even, even if they pick up the phone after five, good luck, you know. No one's going to do it. I bet you can't even get it. I bless their hearts. You probably can't even get your priest to come or your rabbi. We come. Call up, your, call up your dentist and ask for an appointment. Call up your hairdresser and ask for an appointment. They'll fit you in. I have time next Tuesday at 1 o'clock. Can you do it then? Because I'm all booked up. I remember calling my doctor. I had bronchitis about six months ago, a real bad case of bronchitis. And the reception says he's not seeing sick people. I said, but he's a doctor. <laughs> what planet is this? I know we're in Florida, but I thought it was pretty cool down here. Right? 
But if you call up an AA and it's 11 o'clock or midnight or 2 o'clock in the morning and they say, we got to get Joey's in a hotel, we got to do a 12-step call, the reply is, I'm on my way and I'm bringing a couple of guys with me because I know who my go-to guys are. There was a gentleman in Staten Island called Tom Needham. He's passed on. What a great guy this was. We did many of those, and he would always say, I'll pick you up. I'll do the driving. And we were doing stuff like this regularly, taking guys to emergency rooms and detox, and sometimes just nursing them through a night and feeding them a little bit of alcohol so they don't go into DTs. And I remember the first time we did it, I was so scared. I was so petrified. Oh, my God, this is crazy. They got to get into a treatment center. They have no money, no insurance. So we'd spoon feed them some whiskey to get them through the night. So they stopped shaking, put them to bed. They'd come to, give them another shot of booze, go to sleep, and then take them to a meeting and sit next to them. That's when you had to pour them coffee because they were doing this. Those were glory days. It's made me a better AA member because I see some of those cats walking in sometimes where they're still tweaking. I know what that's about. And I don't shoot the wounded, and now we don't shoot the wounded in Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you, God, for that. My sponsor says, said this many times, and I totally identify with it. I'm better around you. I work, I have a job, I do the best I can. I, when I'm around family, I do the best I can. When I'm shopping in Publix, I do the best I can. But I'm better around you. I just am. Because no matter what I say, you got it. As soon as I open up my mouth and say, my name is Peter, I'm an alcoholic, you already know me. And tomorrow night, it's reciprocal. I'm speaking tonight, you're listening. Tomorrow night, you'll speak, and you say, your name is John or Mary, an alcoholic, and I'm sitting there, and I'm receiving, I got you. We get it. This is the only place on the planet, the only place on our planet that I know that I can tell you about the most terrible, disgusting, awful things I've done, and you say, here's my number, give me a call. <laughs> only an Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. Time is moving quick. Okay. Bill and Bob play a call on Bill Dotson. And it's a story is in a vision for you, and Bill Dotson has it in Alcoholic Number Three, the most beautiful piece of work done by any alcoholic that I've ever read or heard about. Bill goes to Akron, as we know, on a trip. It blows up. He doesn't know what to do. He's getting shaky legs. He's in a hotel, Mayflower Hotel. Can't pay his bill. He's got a couple of bucks in his pocket. Doesn't know what to do, is afraid to call Lewis and say we're still broke because the hope was he can call Lewis and say we're rich. It didn't work out. He's pacing the Mayflower Hotel lobby, doesn't know what to do. There's a bar. He hears music, there's women in there, there's whiskey in there. Bill's thinking, I'll just go in there for a ginger ale, just one or two. That'll never happen. So he goes to the phone. He remembers for the last six months, he's been working with drunks. They got drunk, and he's found himself still sober. I need a drunk to work with. Forget all this business stuff. Forget everything about the money in my pocket. I need a drunk to get through the night. Just think about it. A cat with six months is looking for a guy with one day or even wet to save his life. This is the beauty in alcoholism, the big, the big equalizer. That that guy I'm working with who's got a lot of moving parts and still smells kind of funky is helping me save my life tonight. And Bill makes a whole bunch of phone calls and gets Henrietta Siebeling on the phone who was praying for someone to come into their life to save Dr. Bob. Bill eventually meets Bob, and as we know the story, we're here tonight. 
But Bill and Bob needed to go work with other people, and they go to uh, the hospital, and they got uh, Bill Dotson laying in the hospital. He's a lawyer, beat up a couple of nurses on the way in. He's violent when he's drunk. He's a doll when he's sober. And he looks up at Bill and Bob, wants to know what they're selling. What do you guys got? Who are you? And they moved him from the, the, the ward into a private room. And he was really frightened, alarmed by that. Because when you move from the ward to the private room, it meant last rites were happening. And he was petrified. Why this private room? What did I do now? And he says, we're here to give you treatment for alcoholism. It's beautiful. They didn't say make 90 meetings in 90 days and call me when you're done. They didn't give him a white chip and say keep coming back. They say we're here to give you treatment for alcoholism right now. Now, while you're laying in a detox bed, with one or two days, we're going to treat you right now. Not work on your 90 days. It's too, too far off. You might die tomorrow. We're here to give you treatment for alcoholism now. Because yeah? the big book says may you find him now. Not 90 days or when you get your one year. Now. And better be before you get into a relationship because you'll never find God. <laughs> Sober house people, you heard what I just said? And what they do, they talk for about an hour to this guy laying in a detox bed. Think about it. You go up to uh, some hospital in, in, in around here, and you got some crackhead, some fall-down drunk who's a train wreck, and you're sitting there anting up, telling this guy your story. Instead of going, Thursday night football season starts, you talk to him, I'm going home. Their life depended upon it. And so Bill and Bob talk to Bill Dotson. They tell him their story. And what does he say? For the first time, someone spoke his language. Bob said this about Bill. He's saying, yes, that's me. That's me. I drink like that. Finally, someone knows me. Yeah? When I sat in front of a man named Vince Dowling many, many years ago, before I went to Minnesota, they pulled me out of this treatment center in Long Island, New York. They said, we need to get you out of New York completely. And I went to this guy's office, and I thought he was a clerk. I said, what does this guy want, this pencil pusher? What does he know about me? I got my stuff together. I got about 10 days sober. I got it together. And I sat down, and the first thing I noticed, he was impeccable. His clothes were impeccable. He actually looked like Dr. Bob. I realized that later on, if you get a visual. And he even had a little straw hat. His nails were polished and manicured. I said, who is this guy? And he wore a watch. I love watches. And he just, just looked like he had it together. And he swiveled around in his chair and he said to me, I'm an alcoholic and an addict. He got my attention. This guy in a pencil pusher. And he gave me his Reader's Digest version, 10 minutes of what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, how he was eating out of dumpsters. He had a great Broadway career, a singer, a dancer, an actor, and blew it up and wound up in the streets of Manhattan on the Bowery, the famous Bowery. That's where he landed. And I'm saying, how would you go from that to what's in front of me now? On Vince Dowling's word, I would do anything because he knew me. He wasn't saying you got to stop this, you got to get your life together, get into a good relationship, just use willpower, find a boyfriend, find a girlfriend, do something different, make a decision. He just told his story, and I says, he knows me. That's exactly what happened to Bill Dotson laying in a detox bed. He says, that's me, that's me, I drink like that. There was a trust built immediately which is what we get to experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. Maybe not in every group and not with every individual, but there's a sense of trust. When we walk in the door, I'm in AA, they got me. 
I can lean on someone. They'll give me the truth. They'll help me. They'll walk me through some dark times here. It's, a, it's a, just a giving trust. That's all godly. Because I'm sure in our drinking days, if this was a bar, a lot of us wouldn't be hanging out with each other or sitting next to each other. We're a group of people normally, it says, would not mix. But somehow we come in here and we mix. We make it work. And we learn from people that we're unlike, whether it's lifestyles, uh, finances, whatever it might be, different colors, different... We take and we give and we take and we give the, 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 the beauty of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so um, they tell him their story. And then they back it up with talking to Bill Dotson about the physical piece. They talk about how alcohol deteriorates the mind, the mental piece. And then they talk about the spiritual program of action, the answer they had found. The guy's in a detox bed. He doesn't even have a week sober. And they're telling him body, mind, and spirit after sharing their story. Three days later, he does an AMA. He tells his wife, fetch my clothes. We're leaving. I'm free. If it worked in them, why can't it work in me? He never drank again. Bill Dotson never drank again. Because he opened up. He was opened up for God because two drunks showed up at his doorstep. By the way, Bill and Bob were broke at this time. They weren't highfalutin guys. Even though Bob was a doctor, he was broke. Almost lost his practice. Bill was broke. Henrietta Siebeling put Bill up in... Um, this country club down the block from the, the Cyberling estate. They, she put him up there to stay in Akron for a while. She pretty much bankrolled him to keep him around. Two drunks working on another drunk. So I need to remember that. On those times where I'm really tired and the phone rings, and I'd rather just keep sleeping, I pick up the phone. Or maybe there's a party to go to and I'm on my way out the door and the phone rings. And sometimes I see who it is, sometimes the number, I don't, there's no name on, I pick it up. Because it just might be a drunk on the end of the phone who's in, in dire straits. When I was living in Minnesota, I remember it was around two o'clock in the morning and I couldn't take it. I couldn't take the noise in my head anymore. I was loaded with anxiety. I can't sleep, morbid reflection, the narratives going on. I don't know what to do. My voice in the head is vicious. It has, takes no prisoners. It's a really bad one. And there was a gentleman out there, uh, Steve, and he gave me his number. He was a biker, really just a wonderful guy. And he says, you call me any time. You call me any time. Well, this was any time. Now, we didn't have cell phones. I had to go to the phone, and suddenly that phone became like 5,000 pounds. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. How am I going to call this guy? <sighs> Dial his number. He picks up on the first ring. I said, Steve, he says, who's this Peter? Hey, Peter. I said, I wake his no. We just got home. They were doing something in Minnesota called midnight bowling, which I didn't even know was. And after they got done, they went to the diner, and they just walked in the door. I thought I woke him up. He was there. He picked up the phone. He could have said, 2 o'clock. Who's calling me now? I just got home. I'm not picking up the phone. Call me a prop, call, call me during work hours. He picked up the phone and he had a chat with me on the phone. I don't know how long that call was, but I got back into bed and slept. 
Because people who walked before me showed me how this is done, made me believe as when I couldn't believe, unable to believe. Two quick things and I'll get out of here. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us have you trudged the road of happy destiny. It says, may God bless you and keep you until then. I got a buddy of mine in California has something that he says I think is beautiful to a newcomer. Come all the way in and sit all the way down. Come all the way in and sit all the way down. We got gotcha. you. The door's always open. The light's always on. In Alcoholics Anonymous, for those folks who've had this spiritual awakening, must, were compelled to work with others, to give our time, even when it's inconvenient, even when it gets icky. Who else is going to do it? We do it for glory of God and our payback to Alcoholics Anonymous. Dr. Bob says, we take out a little bit of insurance, he says on the next slip when I help somebody else. There's nothing for me more important, pardon me, than Alcoholics Anonymous. Nothing. This is it. This is the last house on the block for me. God must be telling me to shut up because I'm losing my voice. So I'll just close with this. I got this out of a, a book that had nothing to do with Alcoholics Anonymous. It was a, a kind of a Zen book. And uh, if you're like me, because I have about, yeah, I spent eight years in high school. It was wonderful. And uh, I, look at, I, I, uh, I look at the pictures first in the book. And I was just glancing through the no pictures, and I came across this. And even though it's not about Alcoholics Anonymous, I think you'll agree with me. It's everything about Alcoholics Anonymous. And this is what it says. And for me, this is always a, it relates to our 12-step. May I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with oceans to cross, a bridge for those with rivers to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. My family took real good care of me when I got here, and Alcoholics Anonymous has taken incredible care of me since I've been here. And for this I owe. I hope to always be teachable and pass this message on with the same love and gratitude that you freely give to me every time I walk into a meeting called Alcoholics Anonymous, and I say, my name is Peter. I'm an alcoholic. That's all I got. Peace. Let's give Peter another hand. I think we have a secretary's report. Is Joey? Yes, 
Hello, everyone. I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. My name is Joey. Uh, before we dive in here, Peter, I know this is probably not your first one. Just on behalf of the group, I want to say thank you for sharing your experience and walk with God. Very grateful. Thank you, sir. Let's thank Peter again. Thank you, man. All right. All right. Um, in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets will now be going around. Um, for those of you on Zoom, if you uh, would like to use, thanks to technology, scan that guy right there for a QR code if you'd like to contribute. Um, we have technology here. It's a beautiful thing. Um, as uh, the baskets are going around, I've asked Tyler D., to come read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering. So please welcome Tyler. Thank you. Good evening. Thank you, Peter. Uh, here is the recovered statement. Uh, my name is Tyler, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will, will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcoholic is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Tyler. All right. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. All right, so at this time, the fun part, um, is there anyone here that would need a sponsor? JJ, beautiful. Thank you, man. Sorry, go ahead. Brad? Thank you, man. Oh, you too, please? I'm sorry? Awesome. Any? Sorry. Vivian, awesome. Thank you. Oh, we got a lot today. Hello? Yes? Jen, beautiful. Jamie Buvel. Eric, my man. Thank you. All right. Awesome. All right. Uh, now, for any recovered alcoholics in the, in the room? So you got your pick here. So it's a, be- it's a beautiful thing. That's why we're here. Um, so please see those that uh, need to be brought to God. All right. Um, even more fun, we have announcements now. 
All right, Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is responsible for creating the where and when and scheduling AA hotline. Stop by and pay them a visit. BCIC is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get out to AA meetings, such as jails, detoxes, rehabs. They meet to organize at the 12-step house. Any BCIC people here? That's all right. Just stop by the 12-step house and uh, if you want to join. Um, we got some volunteer commitments. All these are uh, flyers in the back, too. Um, all right. So, Peter, so grateful. 12 weeks of um, awesomeness, as always. Um, Karina D. Uh, will be the next session, so we're very excited um, to have her, and so I've never experienced this. They'll be awesome, as well as Joe B., um, the legend Joe B. Um, so after that, October, or it's like a special guest, I guess. Okay, so Monday night um, is my home group as well. It's a tremendous meeting. Go through the book uh, page by page, and we kind of dive in, have a good time, and eat awesome cookies by Alan. All right. Beautiful. I think that's it. And also, CDs, mugs, the exclusive mugs you can also buy, or you can do a 12-step series, your call. Um, uh, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries are for sale. We meet every Thursday here. Probably starting at 7, excuse me, 7.15. Come early, 6.30 for some fellowship. Be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you all. See you next week. Uh, you know, our uh, sessions are on po podcasts in the back uh, at alcoholicsandgod.org. Invite everyone to our Monday night uh, big book study at 715. Invite those who wish to thank the speaker tonight. We're going to be lining up in the middle row. Peter, thank you so much for your love and service for the last three months. Let's give Peter a great hand. And we're going to close seated with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever.
on the rain So stop your sighing, baby And be happy again Yes, indeed, I'm smiling
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Nothing could come 
God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Thank you very much.